Well, have you ever seen an enemy turned into a friend? That's pretty, it's pretty rare. Uh, I've seen the opposite, a friend turned into an enemy too many times. And it's not easy, is it? Uh, if you, you, know, you think about the person who's hurt you the most or annoys you the most, uh, what would it take to transform them into a friend? Quite a lot. Uh, but it does happen. Uh, you know, on a fairly trivial level, it happens all the time, especially in the school playground. Uh, I can remember way back when I was in primary school in grade two, uh, I had kind of a, a rival. Uh, we were sort of frenemies. Uh, his name was Adrian, and uh, we were sort of always buttonheads, and we, we were not on the best of terms. We were sort of playground enemies, I suppose. Uh, but then things changed. Uh, in, in grade four, uh, we became best friends. And I, 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 I was trying to think why, and I think it was for no other reason than on the first day of grade four, we sat next to each other, and uh, yeah, we became best friends. And uh, now we've been groomsmen in each other's weddings, and uh, you know, we live in different cities, and we don't see each other that often, but yeah, I still consider Adrian my former enemy, my best friend. So if you're ever watching this, Adrian, good for you. And um, so yeah, friends become enemies, and but kind of, you know, on a, on a more profound level, even a national level, uh, friends, well, sorry, enemies can become friends. I mean, think of Australia and Japan. Uh, if, Anna, if ever Australia had a national enemy, it would have been Japan. Japan, of course, in World War II, is the only country in the world to ever afflict a direct military attack on the Australian homeland. Uh, you know, there's all the, the Kokoda track and... Um, you know, the prison camps in Southeast Asia and all that horrible stuff. Um, but today, I mean, Japan's our closest friend, at least in Asia. Um, you know, there's a mutual fascination between Australia and Japan and our cultures, even though they're, they're very different. Uh, and, you know, we, we love Japan. We love their food. We love their technology. Uh, we, we love their video games, their culture, uh, their comic books. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, we got a new Prime Minister. He, it was his first week last week. And what does he do as his first official act? He gets on the plane, he flies to Tokyo to meet with the Japanese Prime Minister, you know, amongst others. Um, it's an example of national enemies becoming friends. But what about on the cosmic level? If you're an enemy of God... If you're fighting a war against God, is there any hope of you becoming his friend? Well, in chapter 5 of the letter to the Romans, we see that the answer is yes. Um, as Paul tells us, Jesus turned us, who were his enemies, into his friends. Uh, Let's do a bit of a recap of our journey so far. You, we've got the, the image of the mountain up there. We're, we're journeying up the mountain, the great gospel mountain of Romans chapter 1 to ch uh, chapter 8. And uh, you recall in the early chapters, we started in the dark, gloomy shadows uh, beneath the mountains in the valleys below. And uh, that was dark and gloomy because Paul told us of humanity's great spiritual problem, our unrighteousness. Uh, that we all fail to live as we should uh, in accordance with how God created us, in accordance with the righteous character of God. And thus God is actually angry with the world. He's angry with us. 
Um, Paul said in chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And in chapter 3, he says it plain. Uh, As it is written, none is righteous. Nobody. No, not one. But another way of also thinking about these gloomy shadows at the bottom of the mountain, uh, one lens is unrighteousness, but another might be the cosmic war of good versus evil. Because in those shadows below the gospel mountain, uh, before Jesus came, Satan, the devil, was the ruler of the world. This is, this is actually a title that the Bible gives him before Jesus. And, and when, when Jesus came, one of his objectives was to destroy the devil's kingdom and destroy the devil's work and, and take back his own. Uh, as Jesus said in John's Gospel, in, in the week before his crucifixion, he said, now is the time of the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. And that's in part what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus defeated the devil's power. And of course, God raised him to life once again. And as we heard in chapter one of Romans, when, when Paul laid out the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the declaration, uh, the, the government propaganda of the kingdom of God, that Jesus Christ is now Lord, and he's proved it by being raised from the dead. And, and now, so to speak, post Jesus' resurrection, post Easter Sunday, there is a great cosmic war raging as under Christ, God's kingdom advances, uh, literally good versus evil, and Jesus is taking back what is his own and reasserting the reign of God over God's enemies. And that's a problem for us human beings. Because without Jesus, whether you know it or not, you work for the ruler of this world. And that means that you're at war with God on the other team's army and God is your enemy. Now, the power that Satan has over humanity, you know, from the Garden of Eden onwards, it was our unrighteousness, our sin, our rebellion against God and God's anger at us and our alienation from our our holy, righteous God. If you like, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans, we're enslaved by our sin. You know, we're stuck in it and we can't get out, uh, at least not by our own strength. And, and so to use this, this cosmic war kind of lens of thinking about the gospel, we're being conscripted into the slave army of Satan and now marching out in his futile war against God as, as cannon fodder in his slave army. And the final battle, which is yet to come, is coming soon, and Satan's army and his allies are going to lose big time. Uh, But, (laughs) praise the Lord, uh, Jesus is not just content to destroy, you know, Satan's kingdom and his work and his army. Uh, He also wants to rescue his people from bondage and slavery to Satan and to evil. And so you could kind of conceptualize of, of what Jesus is doing now actually through the church, he's, the church is his instrument for this, is he's kind of running a special ops campaign behind enemy lines, rescuing his people from 
uh, from bondage to Satan, getting them out in preparation for that final assault when he destroys his enemies. And, and as, as Paul has told us in, in these chapters of Romans, uh, particularly chapter 3 and chapter 4, the, the way he's running this special ops campaign, uh, Jesus' great solution to our, our problem of being enslaved by sin and evil is justification by faith, uh, that uh, we're justified, we're, we're made righteous or counted righteous or called righteous uh, by trusting faith in, in Jesus. Uh, when you trust in Jesus, he, he wipes away your sin uh, on the cross and he gives you his own righteousness. And remember, uh, unrighteousness or sin is what gives Satan power over us in the world. And when that's gone, his power over us is also gone. And so here's the big point. This is, this is uh, what Paul wants you to get in chapter 5 of his letter. Jesus turns his enemies into friends and thus wins us peace with God. That's how he writes in verse 1. Uh, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Love and forgiveness and reconciliation of former enemies particularly when it comes at great cost, uh, is very powerful. Uh, And it it brings peace. Uh, It brings righteousness. It brings justice. Uh, And it even brings friendship. Uh, I read recently of the story of Alice and Emmanuel uh, from Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide uh, in the 90s. Uh, yeah, and just a warning, this is a, this is a violent story. Uh, it's a very beautiful story, but there's some dark bits in it. So if you feel uncomfortable, you can you know, walk out and settle yourself and come back in. But anyway, Alice uh, was a Tutsi, and Emmanuel was a Hutu. And <clears throat> they lived in the same village. They went to school, uh, the same school together. But, but during the war, Emmanuel you know, got wrapped up in all the hate and uh, the crazy and the nonsense, you know, and started believing that, that Tutsis weren't real Rwandans and, and Tutsis were evil and Tutsis were the, the problem, the, the source of every problem in the world. And, and he got wrapped up in, in the mob violence. And on, on one terrible day, he ran into Alice in, you know, sort of a, a horrible school reunion where she was sheltering two of her children in a church from the mobs. And to cut a horrible story short, he killed her two children and he actually cut off her hand while she was trying to defend herself and left her for dead. Uh, But she didn't die. Uh, After the war, Emmanuel turned himself in. Uh, He went to prison. He went through the government's kind of rehabilitation program. And when he got out, he was, he was convicted of the, just the utter evil and horrible things he did. Like, and so he made it one of his life goals, as far as it was possible, to meet all his surviving victims and to apologize, and to ask for their forgiveness. And, and one day, uh, he found Alice. 
And he dropped to his knees before her and he apologised and he begged her forgiveness. I mean, how would you be? Uh, Alice was a Christian. Uh, She wanted peace for her country. She knew that forgiveness was the way to peace. Uh, She wanted to forgive uh, her enemies because she knew that God had forgiven her, her sins in Jesus. But still, here's the guy who killed his, chopped off her hand and killed her children. And, you know, being a serious woman, she took two weeks to think about it and pray about it. And in the end, she decided to forgive. It wasn't easy, but she let it go. And over time, they actually became friends. And even more amazingly, they actually started working together in a small NGO which built houses for surviving victims of the genocide who lost their own housing. So here's Alice, the Tutsi, and uh, Emmanuel Hutu, who the the worst enemy ever forgiven and and now working together for peace. It's amazing, isn't it? Our enemies becoming friends you know, through costly forgiveness. And on the cross, this is what Jesus did for you on, on the cosmic level, turning you into an enemy of God, into God's friend. And, and now, even more so, he actually he calls us, his church, to be his co-laborers in the kingdom, in his kingdom, building the kingdom, building peace, building the peace of God. It's beautiful. I mean, how does, how does that make you feel? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, there's nothing to say, is there, on one level? And on the other level, all you can do is rejoice. And that's exactly what Paul does. Uh, in, in chapter 5, uh, basically he says, you know, you've got the pe- your, a peace with God because of what Jesus did for you. And this just makes us rejoice. And so for the rest of the chapter, he's going through reasons why we should rejoice because Jesus made us his enemies, his friend. And he's got two reasons. One, we can rejoice because what Jesus did, uh, giving us a future hope. Uh, But second, we can even rejoice now in our present sufferings because Jesus made us his enemies into his friends. Uh, So first, quickly, the the, the obvious point, because Jesus turned us into friends, we can rejoice in our future hope. Uh, As he says in verse 2, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, So we can kind of rejoice because of our future hope, both in it absence of negativity and hope of positivity. In, in terms of the, the absence of negativity, we can rejoice because our future, as the people of Jesus, is free of God's wrath. Uh, us and God are no longer enemies. We're, we're friends. We're no longer on the losing side of the war. Everything that made God angry with us has been dealt with by the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 9, uh, Since therefore... We've now been justified by the blood of Jesus. 
much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. This is good news. Uh, It means in your future, if if you belong to Jesus, there is no hell, uh, there is no eternal death, there is no separation from God. You know, we're like the death row prisoner who deserves to die, but on the day before the execution, we get a full pardon and a new lease of life. So that's a negative sense, but in, in the positive, well, it's much better than that because now we are God's friends. And because of that, our future is full of him. Uh, verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, so, yeah, we, to use our, our mountain metaphor once again, we rejoice because we're no longer in the shadows um, and, and we're going up the great gospel mountain. But also we rejoice because one day we're going to be at the top. <laughs> Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's our future. Um, and, and what's more, we're going to have position and responsibility and joy and glory in the eternal kingdom that Jesus is building starting now, but forever into eternity. And, and even better than that, we're actually going to be friends with God. So yes, we rejoice because of the hope of a glorious future. But secondly, because Jesus made his enemies his friends, we can rejoice even in our present sufferings. Uh, to borrow from the mountain metaphor once again. You know, we can still rejoice while we're still climbing up, uh, even if the climb is hard, even if sometimes we stumble. So because of Jesus and his cross and his justification, we have peace with God, and that is wonderful. But we still live in a fallen world. Uh, We Christians, we still suffer. We're, We're not immune from everything that plagues everybody else in this world. And what Paul wants us to to grasp or to remember is, you know, if if this makes us think that our hope is all for the future, like it's all, you know, pie in the sky, so to speak, or, or if that makes us think that our hope is maybe a bit uncertain because, well, if me and God are friends but I still suffer, me and God maybe we're not really as friendly as we think. Um, No, that's what Paul's saying. We we know why the world has problems. Uh, It's because of that cosmic raging battle between Satan and Jesus. It's it's because of uh, sin and unrighteousness, which has spoiled everything. But our experience as the people of Jesus is that despite our suffering, as we follow him, our hope, our future hope and our present hope proves trustworthy. Uh, Paul puts it like this uh, from verse 3 if you want to follow along. Not only that, but we, the church, rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't put us to shame or doesn't disappoint because 
God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Uh, The more we follow Jesus, the closer we walk with him, the more the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our heart operates. Our hope builds because we see that Jesus really is with us. He really is our friends. He, He really does love us. Uh, We still suffer, Uh, we still have trials, but when we do, we don't suffer alone. We have have Jesus with us and we suffer in hope. And and the the more and more that we go through this together as a church, being led by Jesus, more and more we see that our hope is trustworthy because it it has a solid foundation. It's built, it's backed by the love of God. And when we look at Jesus, the love of God is extraordinary. Um, you know, how far was God willing to go to make us, his enemies, his friends? I mean, if you, I think most of us would go a fair way to meet somebody in the middle who had hurt us or wronged us and you know, genuinely wanted you know, to repent and, and make amends and at least be civil and cordial again. Um, but, you know, Jesus, for a world that rejected him, was willing to go to the cross. Uh, verse 6. Uh, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might death die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we can rejoice even if we suffer because our hope and our friendship with God is on an unbreakable, secure foundation. The love of Christ, who died for us even when we hated him and were estranged from him and turned our back on him. And, and knowing this, I mean, it changes your perception of suffering, doesn't it? Uh, we've all got our issues. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. Um, but, you know, whatever you're worried about most right now, whatever your biggest problem is or something like that. I mean, mean, knowing that God is your friend in Jesus and that your future glory rests on his unbreakable love, like, it doesn't minimize the suffering, but the perspective shifts a bit, doesn't it? Like, this isn't all there is. Uh, Jesus made you his friend. Uh, You're going to heaven. Uh, The battle between good and evil is not over, but the result is sure, and we know who wins. It's God, and you're on his team, Um, and he wants to be your friend. And the dependability of the friendship of God is is high. Um, Our our hope depends on Jesus' love. Um, But, you know, his love was to die for us when we were enemies, and his love overcame the grave. That's something to hold on to in the strongest storm. And suffering now, unfortunately, this is true, but it builds dependence and trust 
in God, in Jesus. I'd love it if I was able to say honestly that you know, I would be as trusting, as faithful, as dependent on God um, if my life was just all smiles and flowers. Um, but it's not. But every time there's a crisis and I'm forced to on, onto my knees and forced to, to trust God and I can't see a way through this problem except for, you know, Christ is with me so I'll just keep going trusting in him. Well, it builds my dependence on him. It builds my knowledge of his love for me. I see when I look backwards, actually, he didn't abandon me. He was with me. He did know what he was doing in the ordering of events to bless my life. And my love for him grows. And that's how you rejoice in your present sufferings, isn't it? Because the one thing that actually makes us happy, the one thing that is truly joyful and good, gets closer to us and we get closer to him. The more you have his love, the more you're aware of his love, the more you trust him, the more you can rejoice. So friends, a simple message really today. As we continue up this great gospel mountain, take a moment to rejoice and and to gather your hope. It's a very simple but a very profound implication of the gospel. That God loves us, his people so much that Jesus turned us from enemies into friends. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.